mental health and equity, diversity, and inclusion are two of the most important issues facing business today. Many businesses are putting a lot of focus right now on developing policies for, for mental health so that they can respond to employees who are experiencing some mental health difficulties. Equity, diversity, and inclusion uh, are also things that companies really need to start to focus on now. And EDI has a big effect on the mental health of employees. I'm talking to Dr. Tapo Chimganda about EDI, and she's got a really, really, really big focus on EDI. And in 2019, Dr. Tapo founded Future Black Female, which is a not-for-profit organization aimed at promoting the needs and helping Black girls and women move forward, gain confidence, gain skills, build businesses across the region. Hi, Dr. Tapo. How are you today? I'm good, thanks, Janice. How are you? I'm excellent. Um, so I wanted to start first. So we're talking about equity, diversity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Most often I hear diversity, equity, inclusion, so DEI. But you see it as more of an EDI, so ec- equity, diversity, inclusion. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference and why do you see it in, in a different way? Um, I actually don't have a a specific reason why I think that's just the way I grasp things. So I've just stuck to what I know, what I understand. Um, but now that you ask and, and I think of it, um, I do think equity should come before we start trying, especially, um, in workplace contexts. Um, I have I have had experiences where um, some years ago I was still teaching in academia and I got a job in in the UK. And at the time I was hired, they had done a lot of recruitment and had hired about 14, I think, 14 of us. And their aim was to hire as diversity as possible. So people of color, people from other parts of the world, different accents. So, and the 14 of us didn't last for long in that setting. Uh, Within a year, a year and a half, most of us had left. I think 11 out of the 14 of us had left. And what happened was they did all this work, invested all this money. Like in my case, they paid for me to move from Canada to England. But what happened was we were brought into what was a very toxic, racist, discriminatory environment. So even though they could talk about achieving there was no equity there was no inclusion in what was happening and so most of us left after a short while um so i i do think that sometimes diversity has to come after we've done a lot of work on equity so that when we do bring people into an environment it's not toxic it's not traumatic it's not harmful 
structures have been put in place that are inclusive, that are equitable, and so diversity works in those situations. Whereas if you start by just diversifying, but you haven't changed, most of our systems are racist and discriminatory. We talk all the time about systemic racism, systemic discrimination, systemic violence. We need to tackle that before we bring people into those systems that will then be harmed and traumatized by them. Yeah, it sounds like your situation in the UK was a look at us. We're great company, you know, hold there, like, you know, sort of look, we're the, we're the poster child of doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. What, um, so can you tell me what the difference is between equity and diversity? Because a lot of people actually, it, it's more like what's the difference between equity and inclusion? Because diversity is pretty clear, but what's the difference between equity and inclusion? So I'll, I'll start with with inclusion, and the example I I always give um, is you are building. Let's say you're building a building. Inclusion is right from the start, you're thinking in terms of what about those who can't use the stairs? What about those that need certain accessibility? So you're not building and then afterwards thinking, okay, so where do we put the ramps or where do we put this after the fact? Inclusion is right from the start you are accounting for all of those differences and making sure that anyone walking through that building has access, can engage fully, can participate fully, doesn't have unnecessary barriers or challenges being in that building. That's inclusion. Equity goes a step further in not only looking at our structures, but looking at our policies and our procedures and everything else that's in the mix. So we've done the work, we've made the building accessible, but what is equity? It's going that step further and saying, okay, so this person can enter the building relatively easily, but what else? What about, socializing, will that be easy for them? What makes it difficult? So when we start to look at equity, we really need to look at the individuals or the communities themselves, their history, um, their current experiences and their experiences into the future and making sure that that history and the current things that are going on are mitigated if there's any kind of racism or discrimination, homophobia, whatever it is. We're looking at individuals, who they are, where they come from, what they bring, what they need, and making those things available based on our knowledge of those people. Inclusion is a little bit easier, I would say, than equity, because in inclusion, You just think in terms of, oh, okay, so we don't need to know who wants to come into the building. Let's just make sure that everybody who wants to come into the building can come into the building. Equity is now we need to know 
who's in the building and how they're experiencing that building and if there's things that we can do for them to improve their experience. It's interesting that you talk about people with uh, disabilities and um, LGBTQ community because uh, I regularly interview um, someone who works for a major HR company and they do a mental health index every month. And I believe it was in December, um, they do a spotlight in every one of them. And in December, it was about um, equity, diversity and inclusion. And the worst mental health, because generally we think of people of color and, you know, that's women and that's how we think about it. But in their, um, their finding was that people who with a disability or were part of the 2SLGBTQ plus community had worse mental health, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then I started to think about it and I thought, well, if you're in a wheelchair, for example, how do you get around the office? How do you even get to the lunchroom? Is that part of what you see uh, across the board when no matter who we're talking about in the, in the equity inclusion, um, the need for equity and inclusion? Are, are those two groups groups that you see that, that are finding it more difficult? And um, is it harder for them to find employment? I know that um, uh, I'll start with with uh, with disabilities, both visible and invisible. Uh, I came across an article um, written by some academics. Um, I think it was in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, and they were talking about their experience as employees, and the challenges of asking for accommodations, um, which accommodations for those who don't know, it's when you have some kind of uh, limitation or challenge that again uh, requires that equitable treatment. So for example, if you're somebody with anxiety or mental or, or depression, for example, the workplace in accommodating you would come up with some kind of um, responses. So if you are feeling particularly anxious, you and your employer know that when Janice is feeling anxious, she needs to go for a half an hour walk. And so you don't need to ask for it every time. You just go, you take your half hour walk and come back in and get back to work. So that's an example of accommodations. Very simplified, I know, but that's an example. And so for a lot of people with disabilities, asking, especially for invisible disabilities, I think most people know that if somebody is in a wheelchair, they need a ramp, they need a lift or whatever it is. So that's fairly easy, like I was saying. But when it now comes to accommodations, especially for invisible disabilities, a lot of employers don't have something in place, don't know where to start. And what these um, academics, university um, workers, I'll say, were saying was often when they came to ask for accommodations, 
they were pretty much asked like, okay, so what do you want us to do? Like, tell us what you want us to do. Or they were told, go and talk to HR and HR would say, no, that's health and safety. Health and safety will say, no, it's this. But so they're getting the runaround. And so they found it really, really challenging to get accommodations, which they are entitled to. Now, accommodations, according to the law, any worker is entitled to accommodations unless an employer can not in a reasonable way accommodate them. And if somehow this accommodation means that they can't do their job anymore or they can't participate fully as an employee, then we can say no accommodations can be. But that exploration, those conversations, those even policy reviews or whatever need to happen to get to a place where an employer says like, I'm sorry, I can't accommodate you within a, a, a reasonable framework. So what they, something else that they wrote about was needing to prove that they are good at their jobs and they know what they're doing, especially for those with visible um, disabilities. They were often judged as not being able to carry the same workload, not being able to deliver like their colleagues, not being quite professional enough or knowledgeable enough or expert enough because people would see their visible disability. So whether invisible or visible, it can be difficult to navigate the workplace when you have disabilities, mostly because of people's ignorance and lack of resources, lack of knowledge, lack of structure. And so I can understand why that can be um, challenging for people with disabilities. And then when we look at uh, 2S LGBTQ plus communities, I think some of their challenges is again driven by if you're something outside what people want to call normal, right? Anything that deviates from what people, and we all come from different places where we've decided this is what's normal to me, this is what's not normal to me. And then we have society's dictates. And that's why we really need, especially when we talk about diversity, we need to normalize things a lot more so that that definition of normal does not exclude and discriminate against people that are outside of our experience. So a lot of it is about um, finding yourself isolated in the workplace. So you might be the only queer person, you might be the only trans person, just like you might be the only disabled person or the only person of color. And you find that because you're outside of the majority, a lot of what you are and who you are is then deemed abnormal. And so once you start looking at certain people as this person is normal, this person is not, we have trauma, we have harm, we have discrimination, and we have laws being broken. And so I think that's what makes it most challenging when we talk even about diversity. And that's why um, 
There's the 50-30 challenge. If you've heard about that, the federal government came up with this challenge for organizations, companies, businesses, whatever, to increase their diversity by 50 to 30% at all levels, from your governance, your board of directors, all the way down to at least have some diversity. Because what they found was for diversity to have a positive impact, there has to be a minimum of about 30% diversity. So I'll give an example. You have, let's say it's a board of directors and there's 10 of you. And nine of you are white and one person is black. It will take so much energy, so much everything for that one person to have any kind of impact on that board. And here I'm talking about when we come to work as human beings, yes, we come with our education, we come with our expertise. So I might be an engineer and you hire me because I'm an engineer and I come to this workplace and all the other engineers are white. I'm the only black female engineer. You can't say to me, all that matters is that you're an engineer. We're going to ignore that you're a woman. We're going to ignore that you're black. We're going to ignore that you're a human being with different experiences from us. You can't do that. We all as individuals bring pieces of ourselves into the workplace. And that's why we need to feel connected. We need to feel that our work is meaningful. We need to belong. So the that increasing from one out of 10 to three out of 10 actually increases the impact of those who are different or diverse on the group. We talk about groupthink, which is when you and I and everybody else, we kind of have the same backgrounds. So we kind of see things the same. And when we make decisions, it's so easy because we all think the same. And that's not what we want in our workplaces. We want innovation. We want different perspectives. We want creativity. We want cognitive conflict, which is your experiences, my experiences, are different because we've had different life experiences. So we bring these differences to the table and use them in a way that brings about that innovation and creativity and all of that. That's cognitive conflict. And research has shown that boards that have cognitive conflict do a lot better than boards with groupthink. Now, how does a, how does a business I, if I'm in my business and I say, I want to do this, but I don't know how to move ahead with policies. What does it mean? How do I develop those? Because, and, and again, some of the businesses don't have a big HR company to help them or an HR department to help them. There's, there's lots of tools online. I always um, urge people to really familiarize themselves with the Ontario Human Rights Code or the Canadian Human Rights Code. Um, and you'll find on that website, they have templates for policies that have anything to do with EDI. They have templates, they have um, case studies, they have all the information you need to get started. 
The only thing they don't have is the person who will come and do it for you. But everything is there. I do a lot of policy reviews for hospitals and other organizations across the country. And that's where I go. That that is my main source of information. Uh, So it's there, it's available. And like I said, one of the greatest things about this this website or this tool is that they give you case studies. They will illustrate, give examples. Uh, They share some of the cases that have been brought to the uh, Human Rights Commission uh, in the workplace. And they explain why that person won or didn't win their case. So you get to really, really understand that as an employer, this is my responsibility. These are the risks. These are the the structures I should have in place. This is how I can create a workplace that is more equitable, that is more inclusive, that, that even in terms of diversity, that we're seeing diversity as an asset. In a lot of situations, employers start to worry about, well, if it's so diverse or if I hire this person and that person, uh, I'm going to run into problems. What if something homophobic or racist or discriminatory happens, then I'm going to get sued. So because you don't know and you have this idea that people of color are simply out to cry racism, racism. And I've heard this. I've had people say that to me or people who say, I don't care about the color of the person. I only hire the most qualified candidate. And it's like, that's not true because we know that you will get a resume with Tapo Chimganda and you can't pronounce it and you'll get a resume with Linda Morris and you can pronounce it and suddenly Linda is more qualified because you have some anxiety about how do you pronounce my name. Well, sometimes that's unconscious too, right? You don't even realize that you're doing it. Yeah, but we tell ourselves it's because Linda was more qualified and it's not. And so there are things that we tell ourselves to keep things status quo the way they are and things don't move forward. And you will find that if you're not moving forward, your business probably isn't as well. You and I are doing a session um, coming up in a couple of weeks, June 20th, and uh, we're combining mental health and uh, EDI. And I think that you know, what we've talked about a bit today. And honestly, we didn't even get to future black female. So I think that there's a whole other discussion that we can have, but I think that um, it's, it's going to be great to, to talk and you and I, and I can talk some more with just with you personally about how these things overlap. And um, thank you for coming on and talking to me today. And uh, I look forward to, to seeing you on the 20th and, uh, uh, I'll, I'll be able to learn a little bit more than the half an hour that we've done today. Thanks, Janice. Take care.